Hi, I missed you too. <laughs> so let's continue our chat, but on a slightly different angle. That other one was a little bit personal. At this point, I want to talk a little bit more about how this applies at work. So we know that happiness is a universal goal in life. When we go through the exercise of what are our goals in life, we can see that across cultures, backgrounds, ideas, jobs, countries, that happiness is a universal goal. We're all seeking it. We're just going about it in our own different ways. So, oh, whoa, what's that? That's the alarm clock going off. My question is, how many of you hit the snooze button before you went to work today? I used to do that a lot too. Remember I showed you that little journey that I took? I was hitting the snooze button a lot at restaurants and startups. What does it mean? Why are we not thinking more about our happiness in work and in life? We took a poll earlier and we had most of you guys that wanted to be happy at work, but we're not sure that it's really acceptable there yet. So my question is, can we keep doing things the same and just let them change? Or is this something a little bit more urgent that we need to think about? So I want to introduce you to my friend. Does anybody know him? No? Do you know him? Actually, you do. All of you know him because this is 87% of the workforce. They're unhappy at work, like Milton from Office Space. They're not happy to go to work. They're hitting their alarm clock. They're hitting the snooze button. And the amazing thing is that about 23% of those people in the world are so unhappy at work that they're actively disengaged. They're the ones that come to work intentionally sabotaging our coworkers um, and the purpose of the organization. So in Korea, it's even a little bit higher. 89% of us are not happy. We all know this guy. This is one in nine people in Korea. Could it be the person next to you? Could it be you? Are you hitting the snooze button? And what are we going to do about that? And for me, this is the question for me where it started to get personal. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for the quality of our lives if we're going and spending one-third of our time in life unhappy at work? What could it mean for our relationships, for our families? What could it mean for our society, for doing better jobs, for protecting our safety in public jobs? Think about how far that could go. So how can the science help us? I want to share with you guys some of the data and frameworks that we came across along the way at Delivering Happiness in the hopes that they can help you as well. This is a graph, and this is um, our friend Sean Aker. Uh, he wrote the book called Happiness Advantage, and um, he calls this escaping the cult of the average. If you have a chance to look at his TED Talk, it's fantastic. But he's a researcher, and he's been looking at these charts for a long time. And what this is, is these are the kinds of charts that give researchers information about things like productivity and engagement, things like how to make people work harder, things that our employers really want to know so that they can get more out of us. But that's OK. But the problem with that is there's that one little weird dot over there. Do you guys see that? That one kind of like strange random dot over there. So that kind of messes up their line when they're doing research. They go, I don't want that weirdo. We're going to erase that weird dot so we have some nice average results. 
But the problem with that, and as Sean points out, is that if we continue to focus on the average, if we're studying the average, we're going to remain that. We're going to remain the average. But what about that weird dot that's hanging out out there? That's actually a high-performing outlier. That weird dot is doing something good. Most cultures do the same thing that researchers did, don't they? They say conform. They say let's be the average. Come into work and do what everybody else does. But then we're missing out on so much of what we can learn from this one strange little dot. So in 1998, psychology and science shifted a little bit away from this thinking of how do we make people normal. And it started to turn a little bit towards the weird dot. How do we look at the people that are not normal but maybe better? And how do we help that information, um, use that information so that we can thrive? So, in 1998, Marty Seligman started this movement of positive psychology. How do we understand the science of thriving? And him, along with many of other researchers, and 15 years have collected lots of information, lots of information about how we can be more successful in our work and in our lives personally as well. And the result is pretty simple. They find that happiness is a serious business. It's seriously good for us as people. We live longer, and it's also good for our employers. It's good for us at work. We're more successful, and we're more productive, and we do better things. Innovation skyrockets, so why are we not talking about this more? Um, here's some of the people that I was mentioning. Marty Seligman, Barbara Fredrickson, and Sean Aker. So if we take some of that science and we start to look at the numbers, when we start to look at what's the median um, difference between companies that have high employee happiness and companies that have low employee happiness, we can start to pull out some pretty amazing numbers. And these are all from different sources. Um, so 31% increase in productivity from being happy at work difference between the happiest and the least happy organizations. 37% increase in sales, 44% higher retention, we all know retention is a big problem for employers, and 300% higher innovation. And this is what's really going to drive us out of average, is innovation. This is how we go from a good company to a great company, which is what we're here to talk about. So I know that that sounds pretty good, and probably some of you guys are going, well, whatever, that sounds too good, there's got to be a downside to this. And there is, there is a downside, so I feel that it's fair to give you the downside as well. But it's a downside that we want. Happiness also decreases the effects on, the impacts on business that we don't want in our organization. 51% lower turnover, 66% fewer sick leaves, 125% less burnout. So my question is, are we approaching a tipping point? We see in publications all over that people are talking about happiness. Um, there's a picture of Sean Aker's book, The Happiness Advantage, all about the advantage that happiness gives you in work and in life. Harvard Business Review, the whole issue dedicated to the value of happiness, how it comes back to us in profits. Time Magazine, USA Today, people are talking about happiness in the boardrooms of the most successful companies in the world. Are we starting to reach a tipping point? where we realize that happy employees equals happy customers equals a happy, uh, successful company, and also more meaningful lives. So is it starting to come out to be a win-win-win for all of us? That's the formula that became the secret sauce for Tony at Zappos, um, and the one that we use at Delivering Happiness. And that's actually Zappos down in Las Vegas. That's a picture of um, the building that they just moved out of in Henderson, because they moved downtown, because now they're part of the downtown project. 
But um, Tony was realizing when he came up with that formula and when he started to apply happiness as a business model to um, organizations that people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. How you make people feel, even in business, is so important. It's so key. And that sounds a little bit soft, like why do we need to think about how people feel in business? We'll just make great products and um, then we'll be a great company. But you can make a great product, but have okay customer service and then are you a great company? So this is what it did for Zappos. They went from zero to two billion in the first 10 years and they're almost a $3 billion company now, applying the principles of happiness to their business model, making customers happy by making their employees happy. So, we see that it makes business sense, but not just for Zappos. It's not just this one example of a company. This is the best workplaces versus the S&P 500. We see that companies, the best workplaces, consistently outperform the S&P. And these are companies that focus on culture and employee well-being first. And it's not just that chart either. There's plenty of charts and plenty of information available to support happiness at work. And the best companies are starting to realize that. And that's what we're starting to see, is this focus on happiness. So could this be our tipping point? Hmm. So how does this work? Let's see. Happiness at work is really about four things. It's about a sense of control. How much control do you have over your work environment? Can you dress the way you want? Can you achieve your tasks in a way that feels right to you? Or do you have a certain set of ways exactly how you have to do things? And if so, do you have control in other areas of your job? A sense of progress. Are you progressing on your projects? Are you making progress as a person? Are you learning and growing? Connectedness, the depth and number of our relationships. Um, science has shown that it's directly correlated the number of relationships that we have to our personal success and also to our success in life and vision or meaning, which is the connection to a higher purpose. So how do you do that? Basically, we'll take a note from the expert here. You get the culture right and everything else will fall into place. Culture is the number one focus internally at Zappos and it's the focus for us at delivering happiness as well as we share happiness as a business model with other companies around the world. When you have the culture right, you get the right employees on board and the bad eggs start to weed out because once you start to define your culture, the people that don't belong in that culture, they realize it. And nobody likes to be on the outside looking in, unless it's a prison. So you get natural self-selection out. You get employees doing the right thing and long-term success. They're happy at work, they wanna keep it going. They still wanna be there. They're invested in what the organization is doing. And that all comes out to the competitive edge for the organization as well and your success, it comes back to you, of course. So, let's take a look. Let's take a look at what we mean by culture. It's a really broad term, right? Sorry, I had to go back for a minute there. Here we go. Hello, and thank you for calling Zappos.com. Sales associates, dressed as barmaid. How's everyone doing? Are you being safe? Spider-Man in the cafeteria. Go! Racing toy cars in the middle of the office. What's going on here? Welcome to the zoo. What you are witnessing is a social experiment by Tony Shea, the entrepreneur and mastermind behind Zappos, the online shoe company. His revolutionary way of running a business has made Zappos into a $1.2 billion powerhouse. And he got there with the guiding principle, great things will happen if. 
You make employees happy. It's like a playground. I mean, there are balloons, there are whistles. Does that help business? We think it's important for employees to have fun. And that drives employee engagement. And companies with strong cultures tend to outperform the ones that don't have strong cultures. <laughs> Has anybody been to Zappos? No? Okay, next year, you're on. <laughs> well, that's interesting. That is an extreme example of culture, too. But not necessarily all cultures are like that. Culture is basically an ecosystem. It holds together what um, the atmosphere, the environment for your employees and you to thrive, or it can also be a barren landscape where the human spirit is crushed um, in the worst cases. So it is um, something that we can intentionally create to be an atmosphere where employees thrive, but it's not always like that. And if we're not paying attention to our culture, then our culture might be actually running us. And then we're missing out on a big opportunity to evolve it consciously. So let's take a look at another example. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around 9, that would be great. Okay? Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Um, uh, I'm also going to need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday, too. Okay? We, uh, lost some people this week, and, uh... We need to sort of play catch up. Thanks. Ooh. Who do you think is performing better at their tasks? Him? Peter? Is he going to do really well on his projects at work? Is he going to make a name for himself and be successful? Or the people at Zappos and that culture that we saw where they were bubbly and happy? So it's not just about making employees happy so they can lollygag around all day and not be productive. It comes back to the organization as well. So, and I want to show you really quickly what happens when a company grows. Why do we have cultures that are like that? That doesn't even see, seem human, so how did we get there? Well, as we grow, so does complexity. Um, for example, as Apple's went from 3,000, um, sorry, from 35 to 3,000 employees and kept their culture, um, but it wasn't easy. Most companies, as they grow, in order to control the complexity and to control chaos, they start to form a lot of rules. Rules are what controls chaos. But freedom and autonomy starts to go down. There's now a rule for everything. There's a rule for exactly how you need to do each task, how you need to dress, and for coming in on Saturday and Sunday, in Peter's case. And what happens is the high-performing employees, they leave. So comes back. So where can we start? Where can we start thinking about culture and our happiness at work in a small way? Knowing that Zappos is definitely an extreme example, but what about your culture? And how can we start thinking about how to improve that? First question is ask, what does your culture look like now? What does it feel like when you go to work now? What are the unwritten rules that really determine the way that people behave in your culture? What are the values of the people in your organization. Hint, it's not necessarily just sticking one of these in the lobby. It's not a beanbag or free food. Those things can help build culture, but that's a band-aid. 
So if we're not starting to think about our culture really from the bottom up, about our values and our purpose, and what it's like to be there and what we want it to be like, then those efforts will probably not go too far either. So you already have a culture. Are you living it or is it living you? And creating culture can start with something as simple as sharing ideas. And if we're sharing ideas, why not go to the ones that really matter? Why not go right down to how we feel about things? Because if we start beyond that, maybe we're not getting to a real culture evolution. Maybe we're going to create some changes that will be superficial band-aids. And what are some ways that we can create a culture that supports fun and safety and creativity and these things that we know that make people feel good? So final tip, celebrate weirdness. The more authentic that we can be to ourselves, the more that we can appreciate the one degree of truth that's in everything and everyone. The more innovative we can be and the more empowered we become as people. And some free tools for you guys. We really wanna help you start thinking about happiness in your life. Delivering happiness is not just a company that helps other companies use happiness as a business model. We're actually a movement to help people think about happiness in their lives. So a, free, a couple free tools for you, happiness at work survey. Just go to deliveringhappiness.com. You can take one for free. What is your happiness landscape? In what areas of your working life are you happy? And in what areas could you be more happy? Culture book. Want a Zappos culture book? Want to see what the employees have to say about working at Zappos unedited? We'll send one to you for free, even all the way to Korea. Just email us. Three. Happiness calculator. <laughs> I'm not sure why you guys like that. I like it too, but. <laughs> um, how much could happiness save you? Could happiness save you and your organization a lot of money? Do you like this idea, but you're afraid of what people will say when you go to work and say, I want to be happy? Well, this is a good tool to start the conversation, to start talking about it. And four, call us. Do you want to talk more about your culture and how it can evolve? Do you want to bring Delivering Happiness out to, to talk to your company? Because we can help as well. And lastly, feel good while you do good. Do you need a reminder about what your message is to the world? Do you want to wear a little winky on your sleeve to send the message out that you're, you're choosing happiness? So Susan is out there at a the table right now with um, Shop at Delivering Happiness, which is a line of clothes so that you can wear that message on your sleeve and remind yourself and the world. So I offer you guys one final thought, and that is just to imagine. Imagine if we prioritized happiness in life and in work, and imagine what that could do for all of us, for the quality of our lives and our relationships and our work and our success. And then together, let's create change in the world more than we ever thought possible with happiness. Thank you.